Hello, and welcome back to the Wise Athletes Podcast with Joe Lavelle and Dr. Glenn Winkle. On today's episode number 72, we are joined once again by the one and only, the legendary cycling coach, Hunter Allen. As you'll recall from our discussions with Coach Allen last year, Hunter was co-author of the book Training and Racing with a Power Meter with Dr. Andy Coggan. He also co-wrote Cutting Edge Cycling and was the co-developer of Training Peaks WKO Software and was the founder of Peaks Coaching Group. Widely known as one of the top experts in the world in coaching endurance athletes using power meters, Hunter Allen has been instrumental in developing and spreading power meter training principles. Hunter is a USA Cycling Level 1 coach. Hunter was also a professional cyclist for 17 years with over 40 road victories to his credit. Hunter has been coaching endurance athletes since 1995 and his athletes have achieved thousands of victories and numerous national and world championship titles and Olympic medals. This time, we explore Hunter's deep knowledge of using heart rate to assess training status. And Hunter shares his thinking on how to improve resting heart rate and using heart rate measurements to guide the training of cyclists. Hunter discusses the uses of polarized and sweet spot training and the use of high intensity interval training to improve aerobic fitness. If you are interested in learning how to improve your cardiovascular fitness, invest a few minutes to hear Hunter share his secrets to success. All right, let's talk to Hunter. All right, Hunter Allen, welcome back to the Wise Athletes Podcast. Hey, guys. How's it going? Glad to be back. Hunter, it's great to have you back. Yes, definitely. Always right. a pleasure. And Glenn, glad to have you online as well, sir. Mm-hmm. Definitely good to be here, as Fantastic. always. Fantastic. Well, Hunter, it has been, gosh, it has to have been almost a year now since you were on the show. What have you been up to? I've been, you know, I signed up for all of your posts, and I've been seeing photos of Machu Picchu and the Canary Islands. you got an exciting life. Tell us what's been going on. Well, thank you so much. No, I've had a great, great year, and I can't believe it's been a year already, but uh, great year. Last October, um, I went down and raced in the Machu Picchu Epic, which is a uh, a mountain bike race, a five-day mountain bike race around the the Cusco area in Peru, which is uh, you know Cusco is at eleven thousand feet, and so Whoa. you know, I mean, you know, we, we think of we think of I mean, or I think of you know, eleven thousand feet is like a peak of you know elevation in Colorado when you go over the peak. Oh, yeah. I hit eleven thousand feet or twelve thousand feet or whatever, you know, and it's like a million people live there and a city you know and it's wow. like everybody lives at this elevation and so the race was at that elevation and then above one stage we even went to fourteen thousand feet um holy cow finished up there. <laughs> so you know i mean that that in and of itself just requires a, a lot of commitment you know because you've got to be ready for that elevation and uh um, I, I did this with my girlfriend, my girlfriend and I, she's a fantastic mountain biker and an incredible athlete. And so we went out, this was in October. It was the second week of October. And we went in, uh, like four weeks before to Colorado to spend a week out there at elevation riding, yeah. getting acclimatized to it and just getting in a big week and then came back, rested, went hard for a week. And then we went out 10 days early. So we had landed in Cusco 10 days before the race and spent 10 days. And, um, you know, looking back on it, you know, they didn't, our luggage and our bikes didn't come for three days. Oh, you know, no. we're like pulling our hair out. Oh, my God, we're not going to have bikes, you know. Um, and, of course, it came. But, you know, for three days, we were forced to just walk around, right, and just ver just be tourists in Cusco, which was awesome. And it really helped our acclimatization. It just didn't allow us to go riding very hard. And, and then by the uh, seventh day we were there, we went up to uh, Rainbow Mountain, this really cool hike um, where the, the, 
snow has melted and now it's uncovered these layers of sediment, which look like a rainbow. So if you're ever there, you definitely got to go to Rainbow Mountain, but it's at 16,000 right. feet. And so on the seventh day, <laughs> you know, you get to the parking lot at 14,000 and, you know, and I told my girlfriend, we were all psyched, right? And we had this guy, you know, this guy who's like 25 or something, you know, we're like, okay, we're going to freaking go hard up this thing. Like, we're going to go fast. We're going to go hard. We're going to try and get the Strava for this thing. And he's like, what's Strava, you know? And so, <laughs> and so you know, we're beat doping. We did all kinds of beet juice. We're doing, you know, amp on our legs everywhere. We're doing all of the performance enhancing things you can possibly do, you know? And, um, and so we get out, we're stretching in the parking lot at 14,000 feet and we get going, man. And we just start motoring. And we just, boom, just almost running up this thing. And yeah. about, you know, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes. And he's like, wow, you guys are really fit. <laughs> 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 this is the fastest I've ever done it. <laughs> wow, so fantastic. So we got the, uh, we didn't get the Strava. We got the second and third fastest time of the year at the time. So that was fun. But we had a great time wow. and, and did really well in the race as well. And uh, my girlfriend was second overall for the women. I was wow. third overall for the old dudes. Uh, nice. So I had a good time. And, and then, uh, yeah, so so great. Highly recommended. If you want to go do some amazing mountain bike in a really cool place, Machu Picchu Epic, it's a very, very cool race to do. Hmm. So, Fantastic. And then I just yeah. recently, I'll do one more. I'll just I have a Canary Islands. We go to Canary Islands. I have a gravel camp there in January every year. So yeah. um, if you're ever interested in going to Tenerife or Grand Canaria, we have an oh, amazing yeah. gravel camp. We had a great gravel camp there this year. It was a lot, a lot of fun. So definitely a cool place to go. And then just finished in May, Transportugal. Um, and that's an eight-day race across Portugal from the north border of Portugal where it meets Spain all the way to the south, to the Atlantic, wow. to the very tip, the western, south, southwesternmost tip of Portugal. And, um, that was a really fun experience. I haven't raced in an eight-day stage race since I was a pro back in 95. Um, wow. but it really was the pro experience. Like they took your luggage from your room, you know, your luggage was back in your room the next day. You got massages every day. Your bike was not only clean, but it was tuned ready for the next day. Wow. Awesome. Awesome <laughs> hotels, four star hotels every night, you know, great food. So it was a really cool experience. And I, I would say probably maybe the best stage race experience that I've done outside of being a pro like it just wow. it was really cool so if you're ever interested in that definitely um, want to have the pro experience that's a great one to do all right that's enough about oh, that's me and my one. history that's saying something so thanks for <laughs> that, that update great. that's awesome yeah. great well so today because we uh we only have a little bit of time together i want to focus on a topic that i've been thinking more and more about here and i am just sure you're going to have some great wisdom for us it's about heart rate as a uh, essentially a metric of the body for giving us insight into our fitness level our health our recovery uh, you know and, and so of course everybody's like oh duh you know uh, obviously i mean everybody the doctor every time you've gone to the doctor the doctor takes your heart rate right i mean so you know people have known this forever but it's so easy to be confused and distracted by all of the new technologies you know we've got you know power meters and you know and and, and training zones on power and even you know heart rate variability and 
you know, my aura ring gives me like 400 stats every morning <laughs> to, to track and, you know, and I don't know what I'm supposed to be, you know, really focusing on. And I, and I want to, I want to argue that heart rate is one of those things that really ought to be at the top. I, I remember back when, I mean, it actually happened before I got serious about endurance sports, but heart rate monitors are actually quite a new thing. I mean, the the, the portable, affordable ones, uh, Polar, I think, was the yeah. first one. And they came out, and, and it was a big deal. Uh, you know, I think uh, uh, Phil Maffetone got famous with his his um, 180 formula. And, um, you know, and using heart rate for training used to be a big deal. It was the thing that yeah. people did. Absolutely. And, uh, and I can even remember when... I had a conversation with a guy who was a real high-end triathlete, master's level guy, and he was telling me about his training. And I just thought, you're so full of shit, man. That doesn't make any sense to me. And he was talking about how he'd go out and he would keep, he would go as hard as he could, mm -hmm. keeping his heart rate below a certain level. Okay. And I thought, what, what kind of training is that? How, how are you gonna win a race going is you know slow and uh but you know what i think that that's right <laughs> i think that you know the foundation of performance is health yep and having good cardiovascular health good aerobic foundation is the basis of being able to perform well yep. and so i think that what he was doing this masters triathlete who was a very high-end guy um is right. Uh, that, that's what I think, and so uh, that's what I want to talk about. I want to know what you think, and um, and and we can, um, you know, get, go down any sure. paths that uh, you think make sense. But what do you think about heart rate? <laughs> well, I'm glad we got an hour. Um, <laughs> yeah, no worries, and and I want to hear from Glenn too because you know I know he trained with heart rate as well. But you know, I mean, that's how I first trained, ma'am. I remember back in 1988. I think I was one of the first people that I knew that bought a downloadable polar heart rate monitor because I wanted the data, right? I wanted to download it and I got the little downloader thing and I'm downloading all this data and looking at these graphs. I mean, I have, I took every single graph, every single training day and put it in a three ring binder. So I've got like <laughs> binders of heart rate nice. from when I was like oh, 21 through 20, whatever, five or something, you know, um, which became really cool because it was my diary, right? It became, yeah. you know, the, the, the thing that training peaks became right. And all the stuff that we've right. done with power and all that, like, Oh, this is what we need to do. We just make it software. Right. Um, yeah. So for sure. I mean, it is a valid, thing to train by and I absolutely still use it right I still okay. want my I mean okay you know power I want my power meter I want all my athletes to have power meters but I want to see their heart rate too because I call heart rate the intensity of your intention right it's the intensity of your intention right it's how hard am I trying how hard am I going right now yeah. and I think that's really important to think of is that um you know it's a response right okay so we know that there are responses in our body you know wattage power that's the dose right response is the heart rate goes up 
the VO2 max goes up, your rate of perceived exertion goes up. These are response, lactate in your blood goes up, right? These are responses to the training dose. Yeah. But so we need to understand those responses. And I think that's the, the thing where it's very, you know, is, is a still a very important metric that we have to understand. And, and, and I still use it on a daily basis with all of my clients, my personal clients and, and everybody who's with us. Great. Well, so there's so much that we could get into. And, and as you mentioned, we, we only have a little bit of time here. And so I, I thought, let's, let's like define a couple of metrics and maybe we can focus our talk on those. And if I'm naming the wrong ones or missing something important, you'd let me know. And, and they are resting heart rate. Mm-hmm. So the number of beats per minute when I'm not moving and I haven't moved recently. And I think generally speaking that people advocate for assessing this, measuring this first thing in the morning before you had breakfast or a cup of coffee while you're sitting in a chair or maybe still you're lying in your bed. And generally speaking, lower is better. Uh, you know, if it's zero, that's really bad. Right. But, you know, <laughs> but, but lower is better. And then the other end of the spectrum is maximum heart mm-hmm. rate. Mm-hmm. And this is one that's trickier to measure because I suppose all you ever know is how high does it, do you ever see it go? And if you're never really going as hard as you can for as long as you can, then you're probably never really quite hitting your maximum. And even then you're probably not, you know, you've got some little central governor in your body and your brain that is saying, back off, Jack, you know, what are you doing? Are you being crazy? But still, it would be the highest number of heartbeats per minute that you can you ever see when yes. you're going as hard as you possibly can. And, and I would add to that when you're also fresh, right? So uh, that's, yeah, that's yeah, important, yeah. right? Because if I sit on the couch for two weeks and I'm really fresh, I can still jack my heart rate to 180, right? But if I'm like, you know tired and fatigued for because i've been training like a madman for two weeks yeah, yeah. Might. and probably altitude like oh, when you were at sixteen thousand yeah. feet you probably didn't have a very high max heart rate 32 right yeah yeah right um but still the higher is good and one of the th- things that happens as we get older is our max heart rate seems to fall you know this just tends to be true <laughs> On the other hand, it's hard to compare across people because I know people with really low, or at least they say their max heart rate is really low, and they're strong as an ox on the bike. Mm-hmm. But for your for an individual, as they get older, their max heart rate falls, yeah. generally speaking. Yeah. And then the difference between the two is called heart rate reserve, as I understand it. And this, you, and the bigger your reserve the better off you are as an athlete, you have more range. Generally, what it allows you to do, the the wider this range, is to be able to produce more power, more output, physical output, mechanical output, at a lower heart rate, Mm -hmm. which is the goal, so that you're generating less lactate at whatever pace you need to go at for whatever race or event that you're in. So are those the three things that, do they cover enough ground here for us? Or is there anything I've missed? I think that we gotta, we gotta talk about heart rate, heart rate variability. Okay. Right? So that's very important because I think, especially with people who have the aura and the whoop, they're learning about these things right now. So we need to talk about heart rate variability. Okay. There's also a metric that, that uh, pulls us into the power world. We call it power to heart rate relationship 
or okay. cardiovascular drift. That's something that um, okay. is more well known in the, the cardiovascular world, but it's, it's, we call it power to heart rate relationship is something that Joe Friel came up with actually uh, when we started training with a power meter. So we should talk about that too. Um, and this is the where your heart rate will increase during a workout? Correct, burst through your power. Okay. So let's just go down this path right now. So we okay. look at this, so let's say for example, you do a three hour ride. In that three hour ride you have, and, and you can only look at this metric if you've, you've done a, a good amount of work. And when I say a good amount of work, I mean it needs to be a three hour ride and it needs to have some solid tempo type work in there, 90 yeah. minutes at the minimum in that three yeah. hour ride. Well, not the so minimum. you're getting tired. You're getting tired, this. right? You're having to fatigue yeah. yourself. So it looks at the first hour and a half and says, okay, your power is 200 watts and your heart rate is 150 beats per minute. And then yeah. it compares that to the second half of the ride. And then the second half of the ride, your power is 200 watts, but now your heart rate is 160 beats per minute. So yeah, you've yeah. had a 10 beat increase and we look at it in terms of percentage. And let's say it's, you know, let's just use easy math, like 20% increase in your heart rate from the second half, from the first half to the second half of the rod. And that's a really, that's, that's a measure of how much cardiovascular drift occurs. It occurs for multiple reasons. Uh, heat, big one right now during summer, right? Uh, dehydration, you know, you get dehydrated, it's gonna, you're gonna have, your heart's gonna have to pump harder, right? And then fatigue, right? So I look at this metric for those three things. In the early season, I look at that metric as a measurement of, is this athlete's uh, aerobic system developed enough and are they ready to do more intense intervals? So when I okay. see their power to heart rate relationship come down from 20 to 15% to 10%, and it goes down to 5% on a yeah. big three hour ride, let's say it's February or something like that, or March even, then I know their foundation of fitness is, their aerobic foundation is big enough to say, oh wow, you're ready for FTP intervals. You're ready to train at a higher intensity because we now have a cardiovascular engine that's built enough that fatigue is not a factor. We know heat and gotcha. humidity generally are not a factor in, in February and March, so it's not a factor. Then I use it now as a way to, to point out to my athletes, oh, wow, look at this. You were really dehydrated. You didn't drink enough in this ride or the heat uh, really impacted uh, you. Um, and so that's the way I look at it in the summer. So that's a that's a, a good metric, I think, when we kind of pull both power and heart rate together. That's interesting. Okay, and so that let's come back to that because I think that that is a, a nice little gauge that that you use to help people both in terms of development, building their base, and then also fine tuning things like drinking enough and maybe uh, whether their their power output is too high relative to their fitness level yep. for those kinds of things. Uh, but let, let's go back to the beginning and let's talk about the the building blocks first. And so resting heart rate, this is one of those things where it really varies pretty dramatically. I mean, if you go online and you and you look up, what's a normal resting heart rate? It says between 60 and 100. And I got to say, I mean, if somebody told me their resting heart rate was 100, I'd be like, oh my God, do you have a will? Yeah. You know, it'd be like, that would be like horrific. Yeah. 100. And that's normal. That's cool. So if you're a long time endurance athlete, then of course your heart rate, your resting heart rate is much lower than that. My resting heart rate, just to throw some numbers out here, 
really kind of varies depending on a lot of things. Uh, and, and I'm measuring it based on my aura ring, mm -hmm. which is not really the same thing. It's really kind of like measuring what's my lowest heart rate while I'm in like deep sleep. Right. And that's lower than a resting heart rate. But even that really kind of fluctuates a lot. And it can it, it, just from day to day and not necessarily just from whether I'm recovered from a workout or not, it can be, you know, did I have a beer the night right. before? Did I, um, like sometimes I'll skip dinner and I'll fast overnight. Well, if, I'm, if I haven't had a, a drink of alcohol and I did not eat dinner and I'm not like unrecovered from a hard workout, my heart rate will be down five beats a minute mm -hmm. in my lowest heart rate for the night. Just two nights ago, I was down at 34. Wow. So I was like, holy cow, I'm getting close to zero. That, you know, I gotta watch out for that one. Uh, but normally I would say I'm like around 40, 39. That's awesome, Daryl. That's really good. That's really good. Well, yeah, I mean, and I, you know, and I've always pretty much had a, you know, cause I've always been fairly active. And so my heart rate has stayed pretty low, my resting heart rate, but sometimes it's higher. You know, if I've worked out hard, I'm sick, you know, lots of reasons get that up. But let's talk a little bit about what do people do to get their resting heart rate lower? Right. Because I think that's a, a sign of yeah. getting fitter and even healthier. It is. Well, before we do that, we got, I got to ask Glenn, what's your resting heart rate? <laughs> well, it's interesting. Every time I go to the cardiologist to get my heart checked, mm -hmm. it, it pops up my screen with alert. Oh, yeah. And it says yeah. bradycardia because it's below 60, <laughs> which is 60 is just a high number to me. But it was originally, you're going to laugh, between 29 and 32 in the morning. Wow. It was very, very low. Very low resting heart rate, but then I had the I had the atrial fib, the surgery, and now it runs at about uh, low 40s. So I lost some of my rest because when I take that innervation off, the heart rate heart rate naturally goes up without the innervation. The innervation pushes it down. So it was it was when they did the surgery and they ablated some ablation, it's naturally higher now. So it's about 38 to 42 gotcha. now. Gotcha. And what's your max heart rate come down to? I mean, I remember, you know, back in the day, oh, gosh. you know, I mean, it probably was, yeah. what, 180, 190? Yeah, 190. Your, your threshold was probably 180. When I was racing, I'd be, I'd be looking at, when I was just cruising along in a race, 150 was right. what I was cruising along. Now, like, 150 is like, holy crap, I'm really, I'm pushing limits at 150 <laughs> now. So I'm, when I go, when I'm going hard, I'm running at about 135 to 140 now. So I've lost quite a bit of my range, which is not good, yeah. but. No, I mean, you know, that's the same thing. I assume everyone. Same thing for me. Yeah. I, mean, I was just cur curious. I'm 53 now, so I remember back. You know, let's see. Well, I was 25, 24, <laughs> 25. My my threshold heart rate is 188. You know, and I can just ride for yeah. an hour, 188, no problem. I did so many crits with probably. <laughs> I know some with you. Um, you know, yeah. and uh, <laughs> and you know, just on the limit, right? In a breakaway, 188 yeah. the whole time. And I mean, now, you know, I, I, I could be maybe 160, you know, and at the limit in the crit, you know, and so it's like, oh, my gosh, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can remember looking at my heart rate when I was in my 20s and I was on a Stairmaster and it was over 200. I can I can still remember that. Wow. And and of course, it's been a very long time since I saw a number like that. Uh, for me, it's uh, although it's actually up now that I'm I work out in uh at 4000 feet instead of at uh you know 6 or 7000 feet um I can get into the you know mid to high 170s okay that's still really good i mean it's hard for me to get it i have to be very fresh to get my heart rate to 170 i mean i have to be very fresh yeah. and i have to be you know and generally i have to take some caffeine 
right? I have to do some coffee. I have to do something to, to stimulate it a little higher and then it'll go to 170. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm fresher than I'd like to be. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not working out as much as I need something, to. There's something really important to mention too, because for me, you know, I, I'd, I'd see 180, 190, but when I started seeing 220 and 240 spikes, Ooh. I was like, I was in AFib. AFib, yeah. And I see that when I'm racing going like, wow, 240. And I was like, wow, I'm really going. But it was my heart was in atrial fibrillation. That was the monitor going, what the heck? How do I calculate this? Yeah, well, the thing I think is important that we realize that if a person starts seeing spice way over like that over the top, they want to have a check for the cardiologist. That's really something to look at because it's important to see. And Glenn, what was that? I mean, would it be one or two spikes? Would it be a few seconds? Would it be 30 seconds? What was it like? (laughs) It would sit there at at 240. And I'm, I'd be racing and I couldn't race. I couldn't, I wasn't, I'd be like hanging onto the back of the field. And then suddenly it would drop down to normal, like 180. And I could attack and break. And then it would go back 240 again. And I couldn't, I couldn't function. Oh, wow. And I'll never forget, I was racing the track. And Ayatin D'Souza was with me. And we were trying to get across this gap. And I, he'd sit with me. He wouldn't go with me. And I, my heart would come down. And I'd bridge the gap and he'd come right with me. And then I'd go boom off the back again because my heart rate went off the top. So it was just it was it was a it was a medical condition is what was happening. Right. Yeah. And it's it's yeah. it's fine now, but back then it was really problem. I didn't know what was going on. I was like, "What's this about?" Right. And once I figured out what was happening, I realized this is not good. I need I, if it's going that high, something's wrong. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So, right. Wow. Wow. Yeah. No. It's it's very interesting to see that how that changes and and you know and, and same thing here, Joe too. I mean, I've got athletes that I coach. I've got a a a, a very talented woman that I coach, she's 63 and her freaking threshold heart rate's 175, you know, and she just, no problem, no problem. Right. Very nice. Um, now, you know, I think that, and I, this is just a theory and I don't know if it's the right theory or not, but I think there is a little something to the, the small mammal theory, right? The smaller you are, yes. the faster your heart beats. Right. So, mm, yeah. you know, mm. little hummingbird, right. And she's she's a she's a hundred pound thing, so um, she yeah. her heart beats. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Whereas I think that kind of yeah. also talks to you know that stroke volume, right? You think of the stroke volume as okay. If we've got a internal stroke uh, is bigger, right? So we can put more blood in that valve, you know, into that ventricle. You know, it's like that's just a bigger place and you don't have to beat as much. Uh, so yeah. it's kind of like, wow, well, my heart beats, you know, not as fast as it used to, but when it does, it's kaboom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's kind of that athlete heart thing that I've heard about where you, if you've been doing this for a while, your heart has adapted to that. It's gotten bigger and stronger and it beats more, it pushes more blood per beat. Right. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, so that sounds like a long-term adaptation as opposed to, you know, go, you know, do some long bike rides and two weeks later, <laughs> your resting heart rate is going to fall 10 beats a minute. Yeah. No, unfortunately not. Unfortunately not. It takes time, right? It's, that's a lifetime of, of, of riding and training. Not a lifetime, but, you know, four or five years of endurance training. You know, I think that to me, that's always the number, right? If, if you do something seriously for five years, whether it's cycling, whether it's playing tennis, whether it's, you know, whatever you want to do, that's that magical yeah. 10,000 hour kind of thing they talk about, right? And you're, yeah. you've, you've really adapted to it. So I think that's good. Yeah. Um, you know, and resting heart rate is, like you said, it's, it's impacted by all kinds of stuff, you know, and um, the whoop, I've, I don't have an aura ring, but I've worn the whoop for a long time. And, um, you know, I mean, 
I just know it, alcohol is crusher for me. I mean, it just crushes me um, yeah. and does the exact same thing. You know, it messes with my sleep and then it also messes with my resting heart rate. And, uh, you know, and it messes with my heart rate variability, too. So that's a big, big, big issue for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that, you know, so th there's a couple of things people can do with their resting heart rate. And maybe if they think of resting heart rate as kind of a measure of fitness as well as of you know recovery mm -hmm. metric yep. i don't know how, how you've turned up how hard you're recovering right uh and and the harder you recover the better yep. because that's where the adaptations occur yep so if you're trying if you're exercising hard so that you can get fitter and then you sleep so that you can get that adaptation but you had something to drink and that sort of slowed your recovery down well now you've you're not getting the the full adaptation that you could have. So are, are there more things like that? I mean, short-term things that people could do that kind of relate to resting heart rate, but really are kind of more just like, get your, help your body right. to help you get what you want. Right, right, right. Well, I think that, that certainly, you know, having the data like the aura and the whoop is really critical, right? I mean, if you're, yeah. if you're, you know, I mean, to me, that's the one thing that we've been missing for a long time. You know, we've had power meters and we you get our heart rate and get all this stuff. We can't get that life stress. And so I think that's really what one of the things that those two different devices do is they give you that life stress and they help you to understand like, okay, sleep is really important, you know, and deep sleep is really important. How do I get more deep sleep? Um, and so, you know, I, me I remember one athlete that I worked with, um, yeah, we were looking at his data and he would have like 15 to 20 disturbances in the night. And I was like, my God, what is going on in the middle of the night? Why are you, you know, having these disturbances where he's kind of awake and not asleep kind of things. And he's like, oh mm -hmm. man, I sleep with my two cats and my dog. <laughs> every time they get up i wake up and i'm like dude this is crushing you this is killing your oh. sleep which is really hurting your resting heart rate it's really hurting all your recovery everything get the dogs and the cat out of the room out of your bed yeah. you know i mean that's awesome that you love your cats and dogs that much and i'm i'm a huge one animal lover myself but at the same time it's like yeah. you've got to recover here so there are things yeah. like that that maybe you don't think about necessarily that can make a difference. And so um, I think that's that's one of those things. But I love this this idea, too, of the recovery metric, because seeing it, you know, in a way that if it starts to drop down, 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 down. Oh, wow. My resting heart rate is going from 54 down to 40. And now it's at 40. One, you're recovering much faster two, yeah. you maybe are recovered. And then the opposite applies as well. Wow, you know, I was at 40 and now after five days of hard training or two weeks of hard training or two days of hard training or whatever it is, it's now 52 in the morning, you know, I'm not as recovered. Does that mean you shouldn't train that day? Eh, probably doesn't mean that, but maybe if you see it multiple days in a row, then it could be some warning signs like, yeah, it's probably a good time to take take a day off. Um, so I think that's where, you know, using some of those metrics make a difference. You're right. You know, kind of related to that and something that I, I intended to mention earlier and I forgot to, and that's, that's this sort of old school thing of um, 
How quickly does your heart rate return back to a resting level after you've worked out? That kind of seems like it's related to this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and, and well, so let's define that a little bit more though. Like, are you saying, okay, my resting heart rate is, let's say, let's just do easy numbers, 50 in the morning on Monday morning, I wake up and then I do a workout and then on Tuesday it's 54. And, but then on Wednesday, it goes back to 50. Are you saying that? Or are you saying, well, gosh, you know, I'm that evening, you know, I, I feel normal or it's, it's recovering. Because there's kind of two different things, right? I mean, there's yeah, the resting yeah. heart rate thing, okay, which I guess that's probably what you're talking about, right? No, no. Uh, I'm, in, I'm interested in all of that because okay. uh, uh, the old school thing I had people, you know, use on me before was more short term, like, you know, I, I did a high intensity interval and oh. how long did it take for my heart rate to get under a hundred? And was that, you know, was that one minute? Was right. that an hour? What, you know, what was that? Right, right. And so that's kind of the second piece. Like, you know, I think that that's an interesting metric. I don't know if that's something that is besides more of an, uh, uh, an indicator of, of improved fitness. I'm not sure if that's, I think that's really all that that is which improved yeah. fitness means you're, you know, you can handle the work and you're doing more work. You know, we can see that through a power meter. So, I mean, I did the same thing. And I'm sure Glenn, you probably did too, where, oh, I'm gonna go do seven times whatever these hills are, three minute hills, and then I'm gonna come back down and I'm gonna roll around till my heart rate gets down to 120 and then I'm gonna go do another one again, kind of thing. Um, I'm sure you, you probably did that, didn't you? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, well, many sure. many times. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So <laughs> intervals, sort of based on heart rate. When you're once your heart rate falls, then you do the next interval. Right. You do the right. next interval. You're feeling recovered. Now, you know we know that that isn't really a great way to do that because there's other things that are happening in the body physiologically that takes longer to recover from or shorter to recover from. And then we also know that, like, well, gosh. You know, maybe the, the the training response that you're trying to elicit, you shouldn't let your heart rate come down to 120. You should actually let your heart rate come down to 140 and then go again, right? Because you're trying to. Uh, that's because it. Yes. Well, it's simply in a race. That never happens in a race, full recovery. It always happens when you're totally maxed out and then the great goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, one thing that I'll do when I'm, you know, I'm, I'm finishing my uh, Zwift ride is, is I'll, I'll, you know, cool down, right? Mm -hmm. And, and what I'll do is I, I cool down until my heart rate gets to 90. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that, that's just a few minutes and my heart rate is back down and I'm thinking to myself, wow, I'm totally not overtrained. I'm, uh, you know, th that workout was not too hard and I'm mm -hmm. totally not overtrained. And sometimes it takes forever mm. for my heart rate to come back down. And now that's kind of a red flag to me. It's like, oh, I wonder what's happening there. Interesting. And how do you relate that to the feeling in your muscles, right? Because I mean, okay, you've done a workout, your heart rate comes back down to 90 right away. Are your muscles feeling like they're relaxed and, and in a state of cooling down or are they still kind of tense? And, you know, I mean, that would be my question. Yeah, I, I can't say I have any recollection okay. of that. All right. Well, fact. think about that the next time you do a workout yeah. and think about, like, how do the muscles feel? Because for me, I think that that's what I go by on my cool downs is, like, I'm cooled down when my muscles feel more relaxed. They're not, they're, uh, they're not pumped, right? And okay. it's like, okay, 
you know, that's five minutes, that's 10 minutes, whatever that is, you know, I'm not worried so much about the heart rate necessarily. I'm more focused on the muscle feel, uh, the tone gotcha. of the muscle. Uh, gotcha. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I think that's a, you know, it, I mean, to me, right. I mean, all these things are really important to understand. And, um, and, and again, you, we have to know too, that there, your heart rate is absolutely impacted by all the stuff, right? Like, how much caffeine did you have? You know, did, did you, did you have a big piece of chocolate before you went to bed? Um, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. all these things. Don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> um, you know, so I think that's important to really be, to know. And that's why one, it's still an important metric because it's very useful in a lot of ways. And I know we're going to get to heart variability here in a minute, but um, it's also one of those things that you need to take with a grain of salt sometimes and recognize that, well, it is what it is. I'm not going to stress about this. You know, I'd rather hit those metrics, 300 watts, 300 watts, 300 watts, 300 watts, 300 watts. Hurry, be damned, whatever that is. You know, if my hurry goes to 160 in the first three and it goes to 170 on the last three, I don't care. I hit my wattage numbers and I know that I held them for three minutes each type of thing. I'm doing VO2 max intervals whatever okay okay and so maybe we ought to talk about that because uh you know what we were talking about is how do you get your resting heart rate lower is by building up your endurance base and and here you're talking about uh you know high intensity you know maximum effort type things and maybe that's mm -hmm. maybe that's related to this uh maybe that's how you you maintain your maximum heart rate over time or you know or, or keep it up over time um i think that the polarized training has become very popular. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's that also was kind of an old school thing and has come back as, as a popular <laughs> thing to do. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? And how often should people be like hitting those maximum heart rates? Yeah, well, I, I, I like your your initial uh, talk earlier when we, when we started that, you know, this guy who just rode as fast as he could at a certain heart rate. Oh, yeah. at this, this, you know, heart rate of 130 or whatever, I'm just going to ride as fast as I can at this heart rate. Um, you know, I think that there's some, you know, that's interesting at the same time, you know, I know that 130 heart rate at the end of the ride is not the same as 130 heart rate at the beginning of the ride, your power yeah. is going to be different. So yeah. that's the, the fallacy in that. Um, but at the same time, you know, using it as a way to understand um, that I'm getting a, a cardiovascular workout in that I need in to help me improve my cardiovascular fitness, that's really good, right? Okay. It's like, oh gosh, um, you know, I, I've got uh, I've got this this client that I, I coach right now. He thinks he's doing a workout, but I look at his his, his data and it's like your heart rate never got over 125 and his heart max heart rate, his threshold is like 155. I'm like, you're not doing these intervals, you yeah. know, and, and you have to get your heart rate up. You have to be on the limit. You have to be at your 155 heart rate when you do these intervals. And then again, he's the intensity of his, of his intention is not there. He's not trying hard enough. Yeah. Okay. And so once I got him to realize that like, oh, I'm just not training hard enough. It's like, what a change. And, you know, and, and, right. I mean, for, 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 for us three, right. That's a really foreign concept, right? <laughs> it's yeah. like, oh yeah, 
we just go freaking hard <laughs> and then you attack right glenn i mean right <laughs> so well you know that's a really good point because i think a lot of i knew this as a coach also a lot of athletes or a lot of new athletes don't realize how hard you have to go to get to that intensity of heart rate and it's hard and they really want to go they don't want to work it hurts too much they don't want to go there and I find this true in myself that the way to really train hard is to race because during the race, I'll go harder than I would go in a training ride, yeah. much harder than I ever go. And I, I end up getting, that's why I always say I race to fitness versus train to fitness because I, I get there faster because I'm pushing my body harder in a race where it's competitive versus just go, going for a ride. I want to have a good time and there's times I don't want to work that hard. You know how it is. Okay, right. this is going to be your, your really hard day and they have to prepare themselves the whole day for that workout because it's going to be so intense. That yeah, they don't want to do it because it hurts too much. Right. <laughs> so, but and that's so 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 Joe back and that's a great point. So Joe, back to your original question: yeah. How do we use this to improve our cardiovascular fitness to get our resting heart rate down lower? Right. Yeah. You do both. Right. You go out and you do three, four, five hour rides at this mm -hmm. kind of aerobic endurance tempo pace. Right. Where where your your heart rate is at 100 and let's say your mat, your your threshold heart rate is 160 and you do 130 or 135 and you just go out there and you just get a, a bunch of work in for three or four or five hours. Right. Yeah. That's just great cardiovascular aerobic stress. Right. Yeah. That's going to help build your aerobic engine. And then you also have to say, OK, I've got to go to the opposite side of the equation. And that's kind of, you know, I got to do these VO2 max intervals where I go as hard as I can for three minutes and I'm holding 300 watts for three minutes and my heart rate's getting up to 170 in the last 30 seconds of the three minutes. Um, you know, and then I'm training something, you know, at a very high intensity level, putting a ton of lactate in my blood, you know, making sure that I'm stressing the, 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 the cardiovascular system, telling, you know, all of the, the whole body, like we need to be ready for these intense intervals, um, and be used to them. And so I think that's where the polarization idea of a, either you train kind of easy where you train really hard yeah. comes into play. Um, I, there's there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I think that it's it's mentally challenging, and I'm very um, hesitant to prescribe that to clients because unless they're highly motivated, right? And and then they can do that because basically they're either just riding easy or they're doing freaking intervals all the time, and that's kind of not that much fun, right? So I think that that's where, you know, the, the middle road is also good, right? Where we've talked about for years now, sweet spot training, yeah. riding just underneath your threshold. It's doable. You're, you're not at your FTP. You're not killing it totally, but it's hard and you get a kind of a complement of both things where, okay, we're, we're making sure that we're creating a lot of training stress in a relatively short period of time, 60 minutes, 30 minutes, two times 30, two times 20, three times 20, whatever it is. So that helps to build that fitness level too. Um, so from my perspective as a, as a coach, you know, I'm thinking of, I've got to do all three of these things. You know, uh. I've, got to, I've got to periodize all three of these things in the right way so that, that we're improving the whole body fitness, right? Not just 
well, I want you to be a great time trialist and just steady state guy. Or I want you to be a sprinter and be in the criterium and you can be the sprinter guy. Or I want right. you to just be really good for 12 hours kind of thing in ultra endurance. Right. Um, so I think that having that overall picture, I mean, you know, I coached uh, Janice Schufelt who won the uh, Ram back in 2017. I coached her for four years getting ready for Ram wow. and she crushed the women's Ram solo. And we did she did all kinds of ftp intervals she did all kinds of intensity intervals and huh. you know when i first started coaching her she's like i don't understand why am i doing this i'm doing these super long rides i'm like look if you're fitter you're fitter right if you're if you're fit if you can ride it you can average 20 miles an hour for an hour and i make you fitter so you can now ride 24 miles an hour for an hour you're fitter and that's going to translate to a 11 day event Okay. So you can, so, if you can ride 24 miles an hour for an hour, then you can go even longer at a lower speed then. Bingo, right? Okay. Bingo, right? Okay. So let's talk about, I think now maybe is the time to transition into the, the HRV because what you're talking about is, um, which makes sense, you know, you're the coach and you're sort of being, your performance is being measured by your athletes on how w much better they get. Yes. And so you walk this line this fine line of you're pushing them as hard as you can mm -hmm. and that means they're walking the line of am i recovering enough and sometimes no and i gotta know that and i gotta back off right right how yes. do you know that so let's let's define hrv heart rate variability so heart rate variability is the time between your heartbeats Okay, so um, in between the heart, there is a time, okay, when it beats and then it doesn't beat and then it beats again. Yeah. That time can be measured. And so that the more variable that time is, then the fitter or more fresh you are. So when your heart becomes very steady and stable, boom, boom boom it's always on a perfect time right now you're actually more fatigued okay so this happens when you get very fatigued so your heart rate variability the variable time between beats yeah. goes down yeah okay so all of a sudden that's like wow i'm having this very steady heart rate you think oh well, gosh it's kind of counterintuitive wow you know i would think that that means i'm really really fit you know but actually it, it isn't um, it's kind of like, uh, I, you know, the analogy that I use is, um, you know, you're a, uh, you're, you're, a, you know, when you're, when you're really fast, you're kind of like a, a, one of these crotch rocket motorcycles and they just rev their engine, they're ready to go, boom. And then anytime they can just take off, right. And they just go boom. Right. But when you're, when you're, when you're tired and fatigued, you're more of a diesel truck right you're like lumbering along okay yeah. we gotta speed up right you can barely move <laughs> so that, that's a good way to kind of think about it um okay. and and so it's important for us to realize like what does impact our heart rate variability um i know you know you know joe with the aura ring and you said earlier alcohol makes an impact Right. It makes an impact for me. It probably makes an impact for 90 percent of us. Yeah. Right. You have a glass of wine, you have a beer, whatever, a shot of whiskey the night and then that, your heart rate variability drops down. Yeah. OK, so that hurts that heart rate variability. Um, fatigue, overall fatigue does as well. 
So one of the things that, that we look at and is we want to see is, okay, we can look at your resting heart rate. Resting heart rate is coming down. The heart rate variability is coming up. When those two things work together, when they correlate, resting heart rate coming down again, heart rate variability coming up, that's a great sign, right? That means that you're getting more range, right? Heart rate reserve has gotten bigger. Mm -hmm. You're getting fitter and the body is relatively rested and ready to, to just take off and, and be okay. ready to do work. So I love those two metrics together to see where an athlete is. And that awesome. gives me a great, great information. Well, that's awesome. Uh, and I suppose um, j just um, taking a shot in the dark here, but I, I suppose what you're not looking for uh, heart rate resting heart rate to come down and our HRV to be going up continuously no. um, because some, you know, you, you want people to be stressed and then you want them to recover from the stress. Right. And that's called adapting to the training and that's how they get stronger. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's where you have to be really careful using those, those new tools, right. Um, where, you know, you may have a red day, right? Your, your aura ring may say, Joe, you shouldn't train today. Don't train today. Right. Um, but you know what you're, you know, that, and that may be the case for some general population folks, but, but for when you're pretty fit, like, you know, that you need that stress. If I didn't train on the days that told me not to train, freak, I would only train one day a week. <laughs> you know? I never get any fitter. Right. Yeah, uh, and yeah. what are you going to do, you know, in a, in a five day, or eight day stage race when the thing is like red on day two? Are you just going to stop? I'm not doing the race anymore. Sorry. <laughs> My thing says stop. Right. 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 No, you know, you, you got. And so you got to train to the to 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 create that training stress that and that's that overload principle that we have to we have to go by. So I think using it as that tool to say, okay, I am in a training block and I'm just going to push for the next three days and then I'm going to rest for a day and then I'll push for three days and I'm going to rest for two days, whatever your block is, then, you know, those metrics kind of throw them out the window. So, you know, I mean, look at them, understand them, but don't say, oh, I can't train today. Um, because you can still go out and get in meaningful training when you're fatigued. Uh, as long as you get to recover eventually. As long as you get to recover eventually. Okay. And I suppose, you know, if you're, if you're really trying to peak for something, then you definitely don't want to go into this important event fatigued. Right. So tapering yes. and that sort of thing. Yes. And then, and then that becomes a great, that's a great tool, right? And then at the end of that training block, then you use that heart rate variability, use that resting heart rate. That's when, oh, wow, okay, now I had one day of rest, I had two days of rest, I had three days of rest, I had four days of rest, the fourth day, holy crap, my, my HRV went from 30 up to 70. Yeah. Boom, wow, that's a good sign. And then the next day it was also, there was 60 the next day. Okay, I'm ready to train again, right? Um, and I think that's something to, to keep in mind. I mean, you know, the best training that you could possibly do is not constrained by the the work day week, right? So if you didn't have to work on on 
Monday through Friday and you could just train whenever. And it didn't matter on the weekends what you did, if you rested or you trained or whatever. That's the best type of training because what you do is you just crush yourself until you can't do it anymore. And then you rest until you're rested and then you just crush yourself again. Uh-huh. And, and so if that takes five days, you train as hard as you can from Monday through Friday, and then you need to rest on Saturday and Sunday and Monday again in Tuesday, then you can do that. And then you just crush yourself Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday again, you know, until you can't do them again. That's, that's the true like block training that the pros and, and other folks have the, the freedom to do because they're unconstrained by the work week. Um, and, and that's a great way to train, but for all of us peons, we've got to, you know, all the weekends I've got to be, this is my weekend. I can ride five hours on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and stress is stress, you know, whether it came from your workout or your job or, you know, you, you had to mow the lawn or, you know, whatever it was. So you got to incorporate all of that and heart rate and HRV doesn't care where the stress <laughs> came from. So that, that's what makes them good tools. Yeah. Oh, I got I got one anecdote I got to tell you guys before before we forget. So I had um, I don't know if I told this. If I, so, stop me if I told this on our last one. Okay. Um, I have a I was coaching a very famous um, pro race car driver. Can I tell you this one? No. Maybe not. And um, he uh, really really good, super high guy. Can't say his name, but really really good pro race car driver. He's totally into training, very, very, you know, thought he was very, very fit. Um, You know, he had his three identical bikes, three identical smart trainers. He had one on the West Coast in his his big RV trailer motorhome on the West Coast for his West Coast race. Had one on the East Coast for his races in the East Coast. Had one in his RV in Europe when he went to Europe and raced in Europe. Three identical bikes, three three steps. Dude's totally into it. Training, awesome. I started coaching him. You know, and started looking at his his initial data and looking at it, and his back to kind of the power to heart rate relationship metric, which we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, he was coming in at twenty and thirty percent. So he would do these hour, hour and a half intense training sessions in his in his RV or wherever he was, and from the first part of the hour to the second part of the hour, his heart rate would go up thirty percent from the first half to the second half. Hmm. And I'm just like scratching my head. I'm like, golly, you know, what is going on here? I've never seen this before. And so I started talking to him. About, I'm like, okay, so tell me about like your setup when you do this training. And like, you know, and I'm like, do you use a fan? It's like, oh, oh no, no. Yeah, I'm in this car. It's super hot. <laughs> right. And I got to be So trained. he's doing it in a sauna. <laughs> he was wearing his cycling shorts, sweatpants, his cycling jersey, a sweatshirt, a cap on top of that, <laughs> not drinking any water ever, and no fan. Hmm. So he was simulating <laughs> being in a race car. He was simulating being in a race car. So, you know, and his FTP at the time was 170 watts. So 170 watts. I'm like, man, this guy should be crushing this as fit as I think he is. So, you know, I started talking to him about this metric, showing him the data, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, look, like we can heat acclimatize you to your car. Let me show you the protocol that I have for that. And we'll come to this. So don't worry about heat acclimatization right now. Let's work on your, your, your absolute fitness. He was creating this massive thermal load on his body. Yeah. 
He thought he was really training and getting better, but he was not getting better. And that's why he came to me. He's like, yeah. I'm not getting any better. And so I said, okay, well, first thing we're going to do is we're going to take off the sweatshirt, take off the sweatpants. And then he took that off. And then I convinced him, okay, now we're going to add a fan in. Okay, now you're going to have to drink cold water. You know, and finally, after about a month or so, I finally convinced him to just ride with his cycling shorts on, no shirt, a fan, drinking cold water. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> Within four months, four months, and this shows you how good an athlete this guy was, I had his FTP to 300 wow. watts. Wow. <laughs> wow. Right? So he was training and training hard but he was not training effectively in order to really improve his cardiovascular fitness he was just thermally loading yeah his he was being capped out at his ability to blow off the heat rather than his yes. heart's ability to pump the and blood around and get the oxygen and therefore not creating real significant training stress right? yeah very so, interesting good job coach <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, and then and then we did our two week heat acclimatization protocol. He got back in the car. He was way fitter now. Yeah. And so he actually his heart rate was much lower in the car and he tolerated the heat even better. And it, it was overall was better. And he had better results as a driver as well. So, and you know, it was it was well, a, that's a great good lesson. It was that really is a good lesson, yeah. Uh, we're we're going to run out of time, and, and I wanted to give you some time to tell our audience about how to get in touch with you and and some of uh, you know your your most uh, recent ventures that have come out since we last spoke. Uh, but before we ended this, I wanted to see if there was anything else. You know, do do you do anything for like? you know, accelerating your recovery, uh, help, you know, helping your heart rate to, to fall back down and your HRV to go back up. Like, do you use like a breathing techniques? Like, uh, do you try to nasal breathe or do you do meditation or, uh, you know, anything with your diet that you, yeah. you know, what, what are the things would you say are helpful to people? I, mean, I think, I think, you know, some, some deep cleansing breaths. I mean, I think those are always good, right? I mean, I think that those are really helpful. I think those are helpful during the training. You know, and deep cleansing breaths are always good to reset the body. Mm -hmm. I think that really makes a difference. I think cooling is really key, right? Mm -hmm. The first thing mm -hmm. that when you get when you get done with your workout, especially now it's summer or in the winter and the when you're in the heat, wherever, get your body cooled back down. You know, if you can cool down, I mean, you don't need to take an ice bath. Okay, that's a different whole different story. Mm -hmm. But you know get cooled down again and the sooner that you can get cooled down the less that thermal load is going to be on your body and the more that your body can respond to the actual cardiovascular training stress um, so i think those two are really good you know otherwise eh, not so much fantastic okay so tell us uh about your latest venture and also okay. how people can find you online if they want to you know get in touch or, or read sure. more about your stuff yeah, absolutely. So my latest venture is um, called Project Fuerza. Fuerza is uh, the Spanish word for power. Oh. And um, it is, uh, if you've ever heard of these non-fungible tokens in the yeah. crypto world, yeah. um, I have been creating pieces of art using professional riders' data. So I've got Mark Cavendish, Peter Sagan, Garrett Thomas, I've got Jens Voigt, you know, I've got these amazing George Hincapie, these amazing athletes. I've gotten their data from their incredible wins, world championships, gold medals, 
uh, Tour de France stage wins, everything. You mean like their and computer, their power data? Their what, power, what do you mean I by their data? All their power data. Yeah, oh. I got all their power data. I've analyzed that. I create this uh, unique screenshot of that data, looking at it from a different perspective. I've got seven different artists. I get that to the artist. The artist creates a piece of artwork. Sometimes the data, they can they take the data and they make that the art. Um, they've got some amazing abilities. These artists are just incredible. They continue to boggle my mind every day of the cool art they make. Or they make a piece of art and they put the data in the art and they kind of weave it through. And I know this is a oh. podcast, so it's hard to kind of visualize that. But just go to projectfuerza.com, and that's spelled F-U-E-R-Z-A.com, projectfuerza.com, and you can see this art. So not only when you buy one of these pieces of art do you get this amazing piece of art that you can put on your wall, on an LCD screen, you can put on your computer screen, you can put on your phone, whatever, but you also get the data file. So do you want to see what Mark Cavendish did when he won a stage of the Tour de France. Would you like to see his data, right? Would you like to play with his data? Um, would you like to see what Peter Sagan did when he won the world championships in Richmond, Virginia? How many uh-huh. watts did he hold in the last three minutes of his attack? Uh-huh. Um, so that's really unique. Like, first off, nobody in the world has ever taken human biometric data uh, from incredibly elite athletes and then created art from that. Uh-huh. Um, so making that a piece of the art and then kind of paired these together. And if, you know, these reach certain prices, different price points and stuff that unlocks an experience. So you could have a Zoom call with Garrett Thomas, talk oh, about really? the art, talk about the, the data, talk about the race, talk about the weather, wow. you know, whatever you want. Um, and if it goes to a, cert- a higher price, you might even be able to do a private training camp for two weeks with Garrett Thomas or Peter Sagan or Mark Cavendish. So these NFTs are really interesting. They can be tickets to experiences. They can be pieces of art. They can be all kinds of different things. Um, But I've been working for the past six, eight months now, you know, lining up all these different amazing athletes and artists and and bringing them together to uh, create a piece of art. So check out projectfuerza.com. And of course, my coaching business continues to grow. We're, oh. we're loving life. We, we love all of our athletes and we'd love to have more clients, of course, as well. I've got some new coaches coming on board, uh, which is really fun to always teach and mentor new coaches. Yeah. So peakscoachinggroup.com, peakscoachinggroup.com is my, uh, my coaching business. And we've got camps and, and fun things coming up. So love to have you come. You guys need to come to a camp. We'd love, that'd be super fun. What do you say, Joe? Oh, Let's do to, it, huh? Uh, well, in- <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, gotta, I'll, I'll get those links in the show notes so people who didn't take notes will be able to just click on that. Um, that sounds amazing, Hunter. Thank you for doing that. That sounds amazing. I've not heard of anything like that. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Okay. Well, we've run out of time here. And um, I just want to say thanks again, Hunter. It's always an educational experience talking with you. I, I appreciate your time. Awesome. Glad to be here. Thank you so much, Joe. Thank you, Glenn. Yeah, Glad to be thank here. Thank you much. All right. Have a good one, guys. Thank you so much for listening in to our discussion with Hunter Allen about using heart rate as a guide for improving your athletic performance. And thanks to Hunter for taking some time to share his expertise. You can find more information about Hunter in the show notes. And if you head over to wiseathletes.com, you can send us a question to address on the podcast, see all of our episodes, subscribe to our podcast, and you can sign up for our newsletter. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends. That'd be a great help. Thanks again.